Welcome to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. I hope your new year is off to a great start. Each new year brings us the opportunity to make new choices. But the problem is sometimes our beliefs blur our vision of what those choices really are and how important they are. And there's one that we may not pay as much attention to as we may want to. And that's the choice about how we're going to live the second half of life. And what are our beliefs and assumptions about that? Because I read a lot of books and I now interview authors, I'm frequently asked, what's the one book that's had the greatest impact on you? And my answer is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It's helped me greatly in many areas of my life, personally, professionally as a leader in my corporate career, and now as a coach, and also as a parent. So much so that every New Year's Day, I've made a habit since the 90s of pulling it out and the course materials of various courses I took at the Covey Leadership Center over the years to really review the principles and habits in detail before the new year begins. But what about the second half of life? Well, I was thrilled this fall to learn that there's a new book, Live Life in Crescendo. And it was co-written by Stephen Covey before he passed away with his daughter, Cynthia Covey Holler. And it covers that choice. How will we live the second half of life? In crescendo, which is an increasing force, impact, and intensity, or its opposite, diminuendo, which is a gradual decreasing and decline. Cynthia Covey Holler is an author, speaker, teacher, and active participant in her community. She has contributed to the writing of several books and articles, notably The Third Alternative by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, and The Six Most Important Decisions You'll Ever Make, both by Sean Covey. Cynthia has held multiple leadership positions in women's organizations, served as a PTSA president, an organizer for refugee aid, and food pantry volunteer, and she is currently working with her husband, Cameron, as a service volunteer helping with employment needs. She graduated from Brigham Young University and lives with her family in Salt Lake City, Utah. Cynthia, it's such a delight to have the opportunity to talk with you. Thanks for making the time to talk with us today. I'm thrilled to be on your podcast, Joe. Thanks so much for inviting me. So you write in the book about your father's personal mission. What's your mission with the book, Live Life in Crescendo? Your most important work is always ahead of you. Well, my mission is what his mission was for this book, to bring hope to people um, at any age and stage of life that they can, despite past failures and successes, even successes, that you still got important things to accomplish and great contributions to make in your life. And so we're hoping to give hope and inspiration to people that you still have great things ahead of you. And despite what setbacks and challenges you've gone through, keep at it and recreate yourself. Do what you need to do to become the person you want to be and and things will keep getting better. Any of us that have children can relate to challenging questions from our children. And it sounds like this book may have had its beginning in a question you asked your father. Well, I think I insulted him when I asked him. I didn't mean to, but I I foolishly said one day, hey, Dad, are you going to ever write anything as good as The Seven Habits? <laughs> He's like, gosh, what an insult. What do I, I wrote that in 89. I mean, why do I get up every day? Why am I speaking and writing and, and going about my work if all my best stuff is, has been out there? I mean, what, do you want me to just sit, go to the beach and read a book and watch TV all day? 
I don't know what to do if I can't keep contributing and producing. And so he he told me that he was working on several projects at the same time, several books. And he said, I've got this, the one I'm most concerned and love the most is Live Life in Crescendo, which Joe was actually his personal mission statement in the last 10 years of his life. And I think he adopted that because people were asking him when he was my age and your age, I guess, were about the same. He was, they were saying, oh, well, you know, how much longer are you going to do this? You're going to retire soon? And, and in our home, the retire, the R word was kind of a bad word to say. He felt like I still have passion. I still have enthusiasm for what I'm doing. I feel like I have good content material and can make a difference. So why would I stop? And at that point, he asked me if I would be willing to uh, do a lot of the legwork on this book, to take his ideas and to interview him, and then to find practical stories and examples of people who live in crescendo versus living in diminuendo, so that others who listen or read could see themselves in this situation and think, you know, I can do that. I can do something. And you mentioned the stories. You have a lot of great stories in the book. One, I think, really captures who he was. It's about your father on a trip with you to San Francisco when you were 12. Would you be willing to share that story with us? Oh, you bet. It's one of, as I look back on my childhood, it seems representative of him and his character, and I've learned so much from it, just thinking back on it. But I'm the oldest of nine children, and my father and mother were great at helping each of us fill loved and appreciated for ourselves in a big mob of kids. I think that was pretty good. And one of the ways my father did it was to do what he called private dates, private trips, where we would, we, he would take the kids one by one to different places with him when he went to speak. And so I was the first one since I'm the oldest. And I was 12 years old. And for weeks, maybe months, we anticipated our trip to San Francisco. I'm from Salt Lake City. And I'd never been to San Francisco. And he told me about the magical trolley cars and how wonderful it would be to run up, go up and down the hills on those. And I just couldn't imagine what they'd be like. And, and then we had planned to go shop in the famous department stores and get an outfit for school. And then we would go and get our favorite food, Chinese food in Chinatown, authentic Chinese food, and, and take a taxi back to the hotel and then go swimming before they closed the pool. And then we'd order room service, which seemed amazing to a little kid, too, to get a hot fudge sundae and watch a movie late at night. And so we had this whole thing planned after his presentation. And so it was going according to plan. I was at the back of the room waiting for him to finish. And he finished up and was making his way toward me when he ran into one of his old friends that he hadn't seen for years from college. And he was so thrilled to see him and they embraced. And I heard the friend say, oh, I came because I knew you were speaking today. I'd love to take you down on the wharf and we could have seafood with my wife and catch up. And I thought, oh, great. I, I could see my trolley car running, rolling down the hill without me. And I was devastated. And, and he seemed so excited to be with him, though. And he said, that sounds great. I've got my daughter here. And he looked at me and said, oh, yeah, you can come, too. And I thought, oh, it's the last thing I want to do is spend my time with old people I don't know <laughs> and eating seafood, which I hated. And so anyway, I expected the worst. But then I heard him say, you know, Bill, I'd love to come with you. That would be great. But not tonight. Cynthia and I have a special date plan, don't we, honey? And he winked at me and grabbed my hand and we were out the door before Bill knew what happened. <laughs> 
And I was kind of choked up about it. And I said, but dad, that's your good friend. I know you'd probably love to see him and do something with him. And he said, I really would, but I wouldn't miss tonight for anything. And you'd much rather have Chinese food anyway, wouldn't you? Let's go catch that trolley car. And so to me, that, that story was representative of so many principles of keeping your word and putting first things first and caring about relationships and making deposits of trust. And kind of, as I look back, kind of set a foundation for my relationship with him and lessons that I learned throughout my life that I refer to. So it was a great experience. Thanks for sharing the story. What are some of the key principles of the crescendo mentality? Well, let me just explain first what sometimes people wonder why the musical reference and our, our family really isn't musical, except my mom had a beautiful singing voice. But if you know crescendo, the sign comes from a point and then spreads out. It keeps going. And if you've ever been to a concert and heard a crescendo, it's incredible. The music grows in energy and power and influence and fills the arena if you're listening. And it's, it keeps growing just in the same way that crescendo means you keep learning, you keep contributing, you keep stretching. You, you have to keep doing things that keep you vibrant and, and relevant. And the opposite sign is diminuendo. And that starts out broad, but then comes to a point. And a diminuendo in music gets slower and has lessens in power and energy and slows down and eventually stops. And so the challenge in this book is to adopt a crescendo mentality, meaning that despite what you've done in the past, say that you're older and you are getting close to retirement, what are you going to do next? Are you going to live in crescendo? Are you going to keep contributing? Are you going to keep doing things in other areas, even if you don't hold a nine to five job? What are you going to contribute? How do you keep living in crescendo as opposed to living in diminuendo, which means you basically are, are shutting down and getting ready to not give anymore. And what a state that is. So one of the things that you need to do is find purpose while you age and while you, while you live. And I know that your Retirement Wisdom podcast talks with people who either are contemplating retirement or coming up to it, or they have. And my father believed that it was a false dichotomy to say, okay, there's only two choices. You keep working or you retire. And he said, the third alternative is make a contribution. And you can do that in either one. You can do that while you keep working, which he did. He did it until he couldn't do it anymore. He had an untimely early death, 79, that I talk about in the book. But you keep, if you stay with the job that you still feel passionate about, you can still keep contributing in that way. But if you decide to retire from a job and career and step down, what are you going to contribute in other areas? You don't ever, you may retire from a job or profession, but don't ever retire from making meaningful contributions to those around you. Such a key principle. There's always a third alternative. And that was one of the books that I told him, are you going to ever write anything else? <laughs> <laughs> also the eighth habit, which is find your voice and help others find theirs. And that's a key to live in crescendo in this stage of life that we're talking about, which I call in the book, the second half of life, meaning you still have a whole other life after there, after retirement or during this period that, you know, you still have so many opportunities before you. I think we'll talk about that later. Absolutely. And so there are principles and then 
there are always practices. What are some of the key practices that keep you living in crescendo and out of the opposite diminuendo? Well, you've got to keep looking forward. We give the analogy in the book that if you were driving a car and you were looking in the rearview mirror all the time as you were driving, we're looking over your shoulder, what would happen? I mean, you'd end up in a ditch pretty soon. So you've got to have your focus be forward despite past failures or, or successes. And there's so many options as you get older. I heard about a man named Mike Mason from Virginia who was ended up being number four in the FBI and worked had a fabulous career and represented a lot of times that when they'd go to do interviews, he would represent the FBI and speak. And after a certain period of time, they retired him. He was only 62. And he felt like, I still have so much more to do. And he tried staying at home and not doing much for a while. And that did not sit well with him. He said, I still have to contribute. And so he looked around in Virginia and found that they had a major bus shortage in that county. And so he applied to be a bus driver. When they got his application, the somebody up higher called him and said, you know, let me get this straight. <laughs> You've been in the FBI. You're up high in the FBI. You've also been a CEO of a company. So now you're applying to be a bus driver. And he said, we have to get past the idea that there are no unimportant jobs. What could be more valuable than contributing to the school, the children and the schools in our area and the future of, of our country and of our state in Virginia? And he said something interesting. I continue to advance in my career with this job as a bus driver uh, when he'd been in the FBI. And so I think that we've got to look around at our age and stage and think, is there a grandchild I could mentor? Do I have a grandchild that's struggling with an addiction? or that has lacks motivation, or that is not connected with anyone? How can I reach this, this grandchild? Is there a cause in my community that needs attention? And is there something I can do? Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you are. And so in this stage of life, we actually have more opportunity than we've ever had, and more skills to put to work. And so I think that there's so many things that we can do to stay involved. And you talked about this, maybe your next question, but you talked about finding your why, finding your purpose. And part of finding your why is detecting within yourself, what is it that is I'm passionate about? What should I give myself to? Uh, Victor Frankl, who my dad really admired, uh, taught that you don't invent your missions, but you detect them. And so my father always taught that life is a mission and not a career. And I think that's an important principle in this time of life to think, okay, I may end my career or my job, but that doesn't define who I am. That doesn't totally define me. What is my mission? What is my life mission? And what can I give myself to next? And the Mark Mason story is interesting because I once heard your father say, all jobs exist to solve problems. And there are so many problems, there's no, no shortage, they're coming all the time. So it's a very interesting way to reframe contribution and the opportunities that are out there. And so you mentioned the whys, and for those who are now about to graduate from the world of work, a full-time career, it can be challenging to find a new sense of purpose. You mentioned detecting a mission. How can people detect their new why? You know, being very introspective, taking time to, we list four things in the book to use your conscience, 
you kind of know within yourself, what do I need to be involved in, in my community or in my family? A lot of times we don't have to look further than our own family or intergenerational family to find people we care about that are deeply struggling with school or like I said, with addictions or with relationships or learning skills. What a great opportunity being a grandfather or grandmother to step in and to help that person after a lifetime of wisdom and experience that we've had. So use your conscience. The second is use vision and passion for something outside yourself. That's another key point in this book is live outside yourself. We talk about service throughout the whole book. And one of our favorite quotes in the book is, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And surprisingly, that's by Pablo Picasso. But that is our whole purpose, really, to find out what is my gift? Find my why. What am I good at? And that's the third thing is use your unique resources and talents. What do I, I don't have to do anything extraordinary, but what are my talents that I naturally have honed after a whole lifetime in a career or working with my family or being involved in the community? And then the fourth idea is to use your R&I and make it happen. And for people that aren't familiar with my dad's language, R&I means resourcefulness and initiative, which means you have the resources to gather within yourself and use your initiative to go out there and make it happen. And what an opportunity we have. Often we have to update our beliefs about the second half of life. And you write in the book about four myths. That list really resonated with me. What's one of the myths you'd highlight that holds people back from being able to live in crescendo? Not believing in yourself, not thinking that you have anything unique to offer. And everybody has something that is of value to someone else. I remember hearing about a homeless advocate was speaking to a group of people and somebody, a woman raised her hand and said, you say that I can make a difference, but how can I really? I'm 85 years old. I don't get out much. I have a very limited income. I have physical disabilities. I don't know what, how could I possibly make a difference? And she said, would you be able to donate a can of soup once a week to the food bank? And she said, well, yes, I could do that. He said, imagine a single mother warming up a can of soup that night for her young children. So they go to bed when they're not hungry. Do you think that that would make a contribution to that family? And she agreed it would. And so that woman in her in her 80s uh, donated a can of soup every week and lived more years and contributed hundreds of meals to a family. And so sometimes we think one of the myths is, I don't have anything special I can offer. I'm not rich or famous. I don't have a lot of abilities that some people that make huge contributions do. But what you have is enough. And also the idea that sometimes people think, well, I've been there, done that. Maybe you have been very successful in your life. Maybe you've had a huge career and made a lot of money and you retire and you think, well, what's next? I'm thinking of Julie Andrews, who I talked about in the book, who, you know, had a fabulous career singing and and music and also in movies. And when she was in her 60s, she found out that she had this throat cancer and wasn't able to sing anymore. And it was devastating to her. She said, at first, I felt like I lost my identity. I didn't know who I was because my whole identity was tied up with singing. And 
She said, but what I said in the in Sound of Music is true. When a door closes, another opens. And it forced me because I couldn't sing anymore. And that's how I got my identity, to develop other creative outlets. It forced me to develop other creative outlets. And she and her daughter began writing children's books. And a few years later, they had produced a New York Times bestselling book series called The Very Fairy Princess. And so it's Helen Keller said, when one door of happiness closes, another opens. But often we look so long at the closed door that we don't see the one that has been opened for us. And so some of these things that we think we can't do, I have friends in their 60s who have are gone back to school, have just got their degree. One friend had never played the piano, and at 65, she's learning to play the piano. Another had breast cancer and has beat it and is spending time going around finding people who have breast cancer and talking to them and showing up and giving them hope. I'm alive. Here's what I did. And you can do this too. Others have helped with with food banks or with drives for, for clothes. Or during the pandemic, people opened up their garages and uh, said, I'm taking food to the food bank. If anyone wants to donate, be here Wednesday at 10. And their garages were full of food. So people, we underestimate what we can do. And we don't give ourselves enough credit that just a small bit of kindness and goodness goes a long way. Well said. Always ways to make a difference. And that does a great examples. So in addition to the myths, you also list 15 truths. What's one or two of the truths that you'd highlight that can help empower people to live the second half of life fully? I would like to, I know my father would, because as I said, this was his personal mission statement, live life in crescendo. And he adopted that, as, as I was saying, because people were asking him, second guessing why he was still working and still, still speaking. But he would say that there is no greater time than right now than what people have in the second half of life. Just think about it. Here's some of the advantages. The truth is you have more time, more wisdom, more experience, probably more money, more resources, more networking, more connections to offer than you ever have in your entire life. And so what are you going to lend that to? Someone that would retire and do very little uh, when they've been running a company or they've been contributing or they've been responding to needs and then they stop after that. What a waste of, of great talent and opportunity to bless others. My father always liked to quote Dr. Selvi, who talked about eustress. And he said, eustress is fundamental as we age. Dr. Selvi says, distress is harmful to us, but eustress is the harmful stress. And he said, we need that in our life, which is a purpose to get out of bed, a cause of something we're involved in, so that soon our thoughts are occupied outside ourselves rather than our ailments and things that we can't do, we're focusing on. What contributions can I make? And a little eustress in our life is good for us and motivates us to move and to get out and to contribute. And so he would say that, as I said before, that don't retire from making contributions. The older you get, even as we age, if you look around us, there's so many people that are in the second half of life that are, are making such powerful contributions to others, and it causes a domino effect. So with the seven habits, What's one or two of them that have made a big difference in your life so far? 
Well, I feel like this is kind of a capstone of the seven habits. This, you know, the seven habits and then the eighth habit, which I really like to find your voice, help others find theirs. Uh, the very first one, be proactive. We have to be proactive. That's using our R&I. And just a little side note, as kids, we used to hate when my dad would say, use your R&I, because we couldn't make excuses. <laughs> we would be, we'd come home from school and say, I hate my math teacher. I'm flunking math. Well, what does that have to do with it? Well, my teacher, it's my teacher's fault. He's awful. He doesn't help me. Use your R&I, make it happen. And we're like, no, dad, I'm telling you, he's really bad. Use your R&I. And that would mean get a tutor, go to the principal, talk to him about the teacher, talk to the teacher yourself, stay after school, do whatever it takes to get a good grade or to succeed in that class. It's your problem, not the teacher's. <laughs> And so we hated hearing, use your R&I, and we say it to our kids and grandkids now, <laughs> but be proactive. We are the force of our own lives. And although we have overcome the hardest thing in life are the life-challenging setbacks that we face. Maybe we or a loved one has cancer or has health issues, or maybe someone has passed away that was close to you. Or maybe that you've been wrongly accused of something. In my book, I talk about a man that was accused of murdering two people and how he responded to that, how he ultimately chose to live in crescendo rather shutting down in diminuendo. And now uh, his name's Anthony Ray Hinton and has wrote a New York Times bestselling book called The Sun Does Shine of his journey being on death row for nearly 30 years. And he now speaks with Brian Stevenson with Equal Justice Initiative and is promoting uh, helping people. So his life, which he thought was shutting down in diminuendo, exploded in crescendo because of his initiative and sticking with it. And so there's so many seven habits. Be proactive. Begin with the end in mind. I think it's important at the first of this new year. What if we all were introspective? You mentioned that sometimes that you read the seven habits on New Year's Day or within that week yes. to kind of set you again. And I think that we all need to, to set our goals for the year. Begin with the end in mind. Where do I want to end up at the end of this year? What do I want to accomplish? Who do I want to contribute to? Who do I want to bless through my efforts of getting involved? So I don't know. I, could, I guess I could go through every habit yes. and out. But just getting started and using your initiative is, is huge. Absolutely. They are a holistic system, but I was just curious which ones, which ones start out to you. And it's hard to, hard to identify, but thank you for, for sharing that. And thank you so much for talking about the book, Live Life in Crescendo. It really is a meaningful gift to any of us who are in the second half of life or approaching it and really gives a, a whole new model and approach to embrace. Thanks, Joe. Hopefully it's a hopeful message that you still, the most important work is still ahead of you. What great contributions will you bring about next? Absolutely. And the word contribution is one that really resonated all the way throughout our conversation today. So thanks again. Thanks for having me, Joe. So let's end this conversation with a short discussion of action steps, ideas you can put into place following this conversation. And today, all three require introspection. Step back and think about things. They may inspire you to take some action this year. Number one, what's your third alternative? Yes, you can keep working. Yes, you can retire completely. But you could also create a third path 
that gives you more ways to keep contributing in new ways on your own terms. So what could that third path be for you? Number two, be a detective. And a detective that detects your mission. For me, I'm more in the Columbo vein. For those of a certain age who may get that reference. But what do you really need to be involved in? Where can you help solve a problem? And I think her suggestion was a great one. Recommendation to start close to you. Look at your family, your extended family, and your community. Where is a need where your skills, wisdom, experience, and abilities can make a difference? And number three is believe in your ability to indeed make a difference. Believe in what you're bringing to the table. Use your gifts in ways that can, others can benefit. And don't underestimate your ability to make a huge difference in the lives of others, even if to you, it seems like a small thing. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. You can browse all of our episodes now in season six at our website, retirementwisdom.com. 